Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd be with us as we look at this word, particularly, Lord, as we gather in this context for the first time, for the last time in a while. Help us to hear you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our church theme this year, we decided would be give and thanks, this almost revolving thing as we give, we're thankful, as we're thankful, we give, as we give, we're thankful. And so I decided to start the year really finishing off what we started back in 2017, which was a journey through the Gospel of John. And we come to Jesus' passion, the events of Jesus heading to the cross, and I thought, well, this fits perfectly, so I can do this, I can go on holidays, and then we hit Easter, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Well, the plans may now be looking not so smart. But in this journey this morning, we enter holy ground. Outwardly, we have a story of shame and horror and suffering. Jesus, the one who God says is the word of God, the Christ, is crucified. But John has, from the time we started in 2007, he's actually been moving towards this very moment in his story. This is the zenith of the gospel. This, for John, is actually the moment of glory, of enthronement, of conquest, according to God's eternal plan. This is the offering of the greatest gift. John 3.16, that is so well known and loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 15.13, greater love hath no one than this, and that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus knew what was coming. He enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey colt and he's welcomed by the crowds as a king. But he's a threat to the establishment. One of his disciples cruelly betrays him. They organise an arrest. He is falsely accused. There's actually no accusation. They take him to the Roman governor, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, because they must. Pilate examines and says, there's nothing worthy of charge in him. And Pilate actually fears Jesus because he knows about this wonder worker. And he speaks of being a king of another place. So Pilate vacillates, he flogs Jesus, brings him back to the Jewish authorities and says, now here's your man, look. But they then engage in political blackmail. They threaten Pilate. Pilate, well, he doesn't want to get in trouble with Rome, so he hands Jesus over to be crucified. Today's passage, as Christine read it, is it's very matter-of-fact. There's very little dwelling on the nature of crucifixion, the awful suffering. Rather, we have almost a collection of odd little stories. As if who cares about his clothes? And we see Jesus still, as he was in the garden, as he was during his arrest, in control, offering himself willingly. And I think what's happening here is Jesus goes to the cross and dies. John's saying to us, take notice. In fact, I think he's doing more than that. He's saying, take notice of the notice. The sign placed on the cross that says it all. It raises the question that is raised again and again and again in each one of the four Gospels. 
Who is this Jesus? Who is this man? And what are you going to do about him? It's customary to place, it was customary, we have a few records of um, describing crucifixion. It was customary to put a notice above the cross when someone was crucified for good reason, because it was so barbaric. Crucifixion was deliberately cruel and tortuous and intentionally public. Jesus carried the beam, as everyone did, through the crowds. I'm off to die. Dead man walking. And the sign is put up as a notice of warning. In 1968 in Jerusalem, they discovered an ossuary, sort of a burial box, containing the remains of Yehohanan ben Hagkul. He was crucified. It seemed he'd been crucified about AD 70, which was the time of the big Jewish rebellion against Rome. And in that big rebellion, the Romans came down heavy. They smashed Jerusalem. They completely destroyed the temple. Probably Yehohanan, he got a decent burial eventually. He was probably from a well-to-do family. And he was rebelling against Rome. And they captured him and they crucified him. And I can imagine they put a sign above his cross, Yehohanan ben Hagkol, rebel against Rome. Today we might have put up terrorist. Young man, you want to rise up against Rome? Young man, you want to overthrow the Romans and set up the Jewish empire, the Jewish nation? Have a look. Do you want to be there, young man? You who wants to win the world, submit to Rome. What did the notice above Jesus say? Well, John is at pains to point it out. Pilate had this notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. First, we have an identifier, a name. Then we have the charge or the accusation. Take notice of the notice. First, it's a name. Name Yeshua. We would say Joshua. For some reason, we say Jesus because we picked it up off the Greek language, I think. But it's the name Joshua. Joshua, the Old Testament hero who succeeded Moses and led the children of Israel into the promised land. His name means the Lord saves, which is a great name for Joshua who leads Israel into the promised land. It's also the name that the angels spoke to Joseph. Joseph's worried about this woman, his girlfriend, his fiance, who's pregnant. And the angel appears and says, she'll go to give birth to a son. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's in her, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save Joshua, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. He will be a saviour, but for most, let's face it, it's a name. It's an identifier. Most people knew him as Yeshua. And here it's linked to where he came from. He's Yeshua of Nazareth. Nazareth. Nazareth in Galilee. You've sort of got Jerusalem and Judea, then Samaria, these kind of half-castes. And then you've got up north more more proper Jews up in Nazareth, up in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. It's 
bit of a northern backwater. It's a little bit like Charlie of Ingham. You know where Ingham is? It's between Cairns and Townsville. Nice town. It's kind of nowhere. It's, it's bobcatter country. Um, that's where Jesus came from. Jesus of Nazareth. Not like us sophisticates down here in Sydney where civilization is. It identifies him. He's a man, a human, a regular guy in space and time. He's named and placed. He's got home. He's got life. He walked. He talked. He slept. He ate. He toileted. He laughed. He cried. He familyed. Like we all do. So we have this odd little story. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. This is almost John, the disciple, standing by. And said to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Why include that at such a critical moment? Well, I think two reasons. It's very real for John, the disciple, standing by, because from that point on, till Mary passed, he had Mary in his family. So it was a big deal for the man writing these words, so you can see that it's memorable. But I think it also grounds Jesus. Family matters. You've all been thinking about your family the last couple of weeks. You're wondering about the COVID virus, about my mum, my dad, my, my, my sister, my aunt, my children, me. Here is Jesus on the cross, the eldest son, Anna's eldest brother looked after her parents until they both died in the house. 14, I don't know, 14, 15 years. That was what it was like. That's the Indian expectation in her culture. Eldest brother looks up. It would be the same for many of you. Jesus is the eldest son. And there's his mother and he is dying. The woman who bore him and fed him and cared for him, and I think his response reflects that he is fully human because he is born of woman. And there he is on the cross, fully human, bleeding and beaten. And he says, I'm thirsty because he's getting dehydrated because that's what human bodies do. And his human body gave way to the agony of crucifixion and he dies, his heart stops. Jesus the Nazarene, a man. This is crucial, but it's not the whole story because actually at the beginning there of Matthew's gospel, you'll name him Jesus because you'll save his people from their sin. This was in, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, a virgin will give birth to a son and you. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't have that one. God with us. We're at the start of this story. This is where John starts his story. We're at the zenith, the climax now, but he says this at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jump over to verse 14, just in case you're not sure. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The New Testament teaches... 
that Jesus is fully man and fully God. It's captured explicitly in very early Christian creeds. They actually argued over this stuff to make it absolutely clear. The Nicene, the Chalcedonian, the Athanasian creeds in particular. Fully man, this mystery. Fully God, born of woman, sent from heaven. God's own son. God came to us in Jesus, this man, with purpose and a mission to save his people. And so this man is like no other man, although he is fully man, Jesus, the Nazarene, this one who hangs on a cross. Sion also bears the charge against him. The crime, the accusation. King of the Jews, which is no loose charge. Well, that means he is Messiah. The saving one, as we've been singing. The promised one, the hope. One week before, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and he's hailed by the crowds. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The teacher who taught like no other, the wonder worker the, who fed the multitudes in the wilderness and gave sight to the blind and raised the dead, the, the one who's an absolute threat to the religious authorities, perhaps a threat to Rome, he challenged them and so they want him dead. He's arrested, he's put on trial, what accusation? Pilate says, I don't know, he's no threat, this guy's no threat. But the Jews say, back him into a corner, it's a political blackmail, you're no friend of Caesar if you let the one called who thinks he's king of the Jews go free. We'll let Caesar know, Pilate. So Pilate writes the accusation. The accusation is formally sedition, king of the Jews, a rebel. But actually for Pilate it's spiteful revenge. It's mockery over these men who have backed him into a corner. Here is your king, the king of the Jews, beaten, mocked and scorned. No, 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 they recoil in horror. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. For them, the charge is blasphemy, not sedition. How can one make this claim? He must die. And Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. Rack off my last statement of authority as I lose. And ironically, Pilate writes, I believe the truth. God has come in human flesh in his promised Messiah, the saving king, and he hangs on a Roman cross, the king of the Jews. How, how so? It's all wrong, isn't it? What sort of glory is this? Well, John is actually at pains to point out what's going on. And we almost certainly miss it unless you're steeped in Scripture. We have another curious account of Jesus' clothing. We have our four women standing beside the cross. They're, they're counterpointed with four men at the cross playing games. Four brutal men. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and they divided into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Quite a bit of detail. John's always got interesting details. Like he was there. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by a lot who will get it. 
This happened that scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So this is what the soldiers did. <clears throat> that quote is Psalm 22 verse 18, which is a psalm of King David, another great hero of the Old Testament. In this psalm, David is, at, is suffering to the very point of death. And he cries out to God for deliverance. The psalm finishes with a joyful sound of praise and triumph to God that all the world may know the salvation of the Lord. I'd like to notice some comparisons. And if you know your other gospel stories, you'll see the comparison. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Matthew and Luke, Jesus cries this out. From, Matthew and Mark, Jesus cries this out from the cross. Verse 7, all who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord deliver him, rescue him. Let, let the Lord delight in him since he delights in him. Not only is it Handel's Messiah, Psalm 22, and it's also recorded as the taunts of the chief priests and the leaders in Luke and Mark. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. Here we have John's link. We have a description of crucifixion almost. John is making the point. Jesus is that Davidic king. He is the fulfillment. Again, he draws attention to fulfillment. Verse 28, John says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Which is odd, another cryptic little comment. So who cares about all this? This thirst, Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. again, my mouth is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. But perhaps more pointedly is another psalm of David. Psalm 69 Verse 21, they put gall in my food and give me vinegar for my thirst. This psalm follows the same pattern. David writes out of desperate suffering with people attacking him on every side. He cries out to the Lord for deliverance and the psalm finishes with that deliverance and the song of praise. But in that process of suffering, they give me vinegar for my thirst. Jesus, John is telling us, is the suffering king. He matches, this king, this Davidic king, matches that suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah 53, who will be pierced for our transgressions. There is fulfillment and vindication happening even as Jesus conquers through suffering. This servant, king, is Jesus, the Nazarene, that man the King of the Jews, the promised Messiah, the Saviour of the world who saves through sacrifice. 
This is where John's gospel has been heading from the very beginning. He's saying, make no state, mistake. This is according to the eternal plan and purpose of God, to save from sin and rebellion and rejection of God. And Jesus remains in control till the last. I don't know if you noticed. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now look who's in control. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. It's accomplished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus cries out completion. But what's this sponge thing? What's the sour wine? Well, in one sense, I think of that sour wine. Jesus is taking the bitterness of humanity at its worst into his body for our sake. He takes the evil upon himself as the Son of God, the worst of human evil. And the sponge on the hyssop plant, you know, this is quite interesting because the hyssop turns up just a few times, but particularly in the Old Testament, it's used symbolically to sprinkle blood or to paint blood of sacrifices. Most in particular in the Exodus story. The ten plagues that came upon Egypt. Let my people go, the last great plague. The Israelites were instructed to take slaughter of a lamb, which they would eat that night in a feast, but to take the blood on a hyssop plant and paint it over the doorposts of their house. And that night the angel of death passed through Egypt and as the last great plague, the firstborn of all Egypt lost their life except those houses of the Israelites who painted that blood of the slaughtered lamb over their doorposts. And then they had to share a feast and keep sharing a feast year after year after year to remember this salvation. John chapter 1. John the Baptist says... He saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he finishes that bit of speech, he says, I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Just before Jesus' last breath, there is this red sour wine on a hyssop plant with a sponge given to Jesus to drink. Because Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb whose blood covers over sin eternally and protects. He is the acceptable sacrifice to atone and make right, to erase the debt of unrighteousness that stands against us. Jesus willingly hands over his life for us to save and redeem us and set us free. It's all according to plan. It's captured in that notice on top of the cross that this is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek, written in three common languages so that all the might world, even you and I, might take notice. Jesus of Nazareth, fully man, therefore able and right to die in our place, yet fully God, God with us, the king of the Jews, who's righteous and worthy to bear the wrath, in a sense, in himself. God bears the wrath for us to save. So we stand on holy ground, and I think John wants us to know, as we come to the death of Jesus, it raises this question, who is this man in every gospel again? C.S. Lewis posed this question, it was posed by others many years before, but who is this man? Is he a, is he a lord? Is he a liar or is he a lunatic? 
The Jewish leader said he's a liar. I think Pilate probably thought he was a lunatic. John writes his gospel and says he's Lord. Others might say, no, he's literary creation. He's just a literary creation, which makes the Apostle John liar or lunatic. And he writes a very, 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 very clever piece of writing. Lord, liar or lunatic. We have the eyewitness accounts. I've got two endings. I'm going to take the second one, which I wasn't sure about. It's been a tough message to prepare because I've been very conscious that Julian's with us this morning. <laughs> and he's, he's Jewish, he was brought up Jewish and I 100% respect and honour that. I've been thinking about this all week. But as an expression of my religious freedom, I always want to teach the scriptures as I understand them. <laughs> um, and thank you, Julian, for your grace. In many ways, we share, many, we share foundations with people of Jewish faith. The God of creation has revealed himself through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to bless the entire world as he continues to do. And many of the precepts and standards that we call the Judeo-Christian heritage, well, they're actually the foundation of Western societies, I believe healthy Western societies, and many, many others as they secretly sneak through the world. And these foundations are being, in many ways, eroded and destroyed actively by some today. However, there are differences between the, what Christians believe and what Orthodox Jews believe. Some are Messianic, we'll see Jesus as Messiah. And that, I think they're really highlighted in today's passage. Who is this person, Jesus? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? John says, He is the Word of God made flesh. He is God with us. He is the greatest of all the Jews. He is great King David's greatest son, the saviour of the world, the ultimate bringer of blessing and hope and life, the ultimate Jew to bless the world. So my simple challenge is, will you take notice of the notice? And John would say, will you follow this king and accept his death, his payment, his gift for yourself, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Amen.